You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 39. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome to Liberty Buzzard, the podcast for inquisitive minds. And today, I think I think the news is older, old enough and stinky enough, Thomas, that uh, we're going to talk about the officer shooting in Dallas. Do you want to bring us up to speed? So in Dallas, a officer who I think she came off a 16-hour uh, shift. That's the word, yeah. Came home uh, and went to the, according to one account of the story, and we'll talk about the different versions of this story. Uh, she came home to what she thought was her uh, room, and she had uh, parked on the wrong level of the parking garage in her apartment complex, walked out on the wa- uh, wrong level, the floors are all identical. She goes to what would be her room. She uh, she finds it unlocked. So she's thinking that someone has broken into her room. She finds an African-American man standing in what she thinks is her apartment. She pulls out her service weapon. She fires and she shoots him. Then presumably she turns on the lights. She realizes that unfortunately it was not her room. It was on a different floor and... She has just uh, walked into a man's house who wasn't doing anything and shot him dead. And uh, the other version of the story is that there was complaints about this man because of noise. And she went up there because she was angry and shot him dead. Uh, And uh, so those are kind of the two different narratives. And what I don't hear very many people talking about is 16 hour shifts. And this, Dustin, I guess this is my first question for you. Is this normal for officers to work uh, 16 hour shifts uh, as a policeman? So I won't say it's normal, but I'm also, it's not unheard of. So the problem with being an hourly worker is that you're renting out your time. And the problem with being an hourly worker on a civil servant basis is that you know, you do more work and uh, you do a good job at work and it's not like you're going to get raises. So your pay is very static. Um, and back when I was a cop and, you know, what I, what I tell people about being a cop is you will get a base pay that depending on where you work may or may not be, you know, a livable wage, decent pay, just doing your normal 40 hours. Where police officers most often make their money is during overtime. So whether that's working, you know, standing outside of a movie theater or, you know, working uh, overtime for the city because, you know, there's always a shortage of personnel out there. People call in sick, people are on vacation, people have to go to this. So most patrol shifts uh, are, are always short staffed. And so you're always having to call in somebody to come work overtime. My old department, the Austin Police Department, you know, was a volunteer. There was no mandatory overtime. Well, there was some, but it was very atypical. Um, it was all voluntary overtime. So, and there was a plenty to go around. So if you were one of those people who loved your job or was financially in a bind or just wanted the extra money, you could buy policy. This is awesome. Police department policy work no more than 16 hours in a 24 hour cycle. Keeping in mind that Police officers, patrol officers are shift workers. So you have a lot of people who are working nights. You have people working weekends. You're getting called in uh, in the middle of the day. You say, I, I work three years on nights and you get called in in the middle of the day um, to at the last minute to come to a court case. And, you know, you're, you're sitting there for two, four, six, eight hours, however long till you get the chance to go on the te- stand to testify. And then you have a choice. You know, do I just put all that overtime in my pocket or do I call in and say, hey, I, I worked eight hours. You know, I'm, I'm going to take some flex time today. If that is even an option option because your patrol shift is short. So 
long hours, Thomas, to put it shortly, as a police officer, are are pretty much standard. Um, you're going to have a lot of senior officers out there. They've been doing it for a long time, or maybe they have a spouse that makes a lot of money independently and they don't need the money. Uh, they don't, but I'd say that's almost more the exception than the rule. Most police officers I know, they will pick up at least one, if not two, if not several. Some police officers work 16-hour days every single day shifts. They'll pick up those extra shifts for the overtime. Um, and I know since you're going to ask, I'm going to preempt the question, does this result in sleep deprivation? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, and for those who don't think it's a problem out there, uh, yes, sleep deprivation is an uh, is an obstacle and a problem for all shift workers. Police officers being, you know, that, you know, nurses, uh, factory workers, police officers, whoever that is who work night shift, you know, sleep depri- deprivation is a problem because working at night is not a natural schedule. And, and, you know, plus you get called into court for the middle of the day, all that stuff I've already said. So yes, sleep deprivation is a very big deal. Um, and for those who didn't know this, but I think it's kind of common knowledge now, sleep deprivation, depending on the amount of deprivation you have, can have very similar consequences as being intoxicated on alcohol. Um, if you've been sleep deprived for 24 to 48 hours, you can have the same symptoms as having consumed, you know, four or six uh, drinks of, uh, of, of whatever drink you drink. So it can have the exact same type of, uh, of symptoms. Let's just say it that way. There's a lot going on behind this story. There's a lot of details that you and I don't know, that nobody out there in the media knows, that nobody knows that make a big deal of the case. And they're not going to they're not going to be found out until the case goes to trial if if the attorneys uh, are you know doing their job. You know, the secrecy um, on the part of those details is just an, it's an essential part of both the prosecute prosecutorial side and the defense side. So. There's a lot of uh, finger pointing. There's a lot of guessing, and there's um, a lot of what ifing. But the truth is, nobody's going to know, and nobody's really going to know until after the trial is over and after it's all said and done. And uh, I'll put a pin in it there, and you know, get your thoughts. So I want to kind of dig down on this uh, sleep deprivation issue because I think that I don't think this is the only story. It's not the only aspect of this I want to talk about, but we have very strict rules about airline pilots and how much sleep they have to get before they operate an airplane. They have to get a certain amount of sleep. They have to have a certain amount of downtime. Uh, and if you have a long flight that's you know going for 10, 12, 16 hours, you have to have multiple pilots so that the pilots can take breaks and rest. And no one is like, no, we shouldn't have those rules for pilots. You know, pilots should be able to, you know, stay up all night watching, you know, binging Netflix and then fly an airplane while sleep deprived. And yet we are that way with cops. In fact, cops are you know allowed and sometimes required to work all of this overtime, which creates a sleep-deprived state. When police officers kill more people every year than airline pilots, like from a sense of risk to the population, police officers are far more deadly than airline pilots. Now, to be fair to police officers, most of those shootings, there's bullets going both ways, and that's their job is to use deadly force. But 
if it is your job to use deadly force, you need to be fully in control of your mental faculties. There was a, a series of commercials that came out you know, a decade ago there for holiday and express. And it was a series of like catastrophes that almost happened. One is at the nuclear missile silo and this guy comes in and he has all the answers and he helps everyone solve the problem. And the nuclear crisis is diverted. And they're like, what department are you with? And he's like, Oh, I'm with the tour group, but I stayed at a holiday Inn express last night and I got a good night's sleep. And so I'm able to solve this problem. And I feel like that's what you want your police officers to be is, is well rested. And on another side, this seems financially very irresponsible because Dustin, you get paid time and a half for that second shift, right? That's correct. And so if you look at it from a taxpayer's perspective, we're paying 50% more for a tired cop than we do for a rested cop. <laughs> if we just hired more police officers, uh, we would have, we would pay less money. And we'd have more rested uh, police officers and we could even afford in the savings to give cops a kind of across the board raise or maybe a merit based raise. I know governments hate, you know, rewarding merit. That's like the last thing a government ever wants to do with paying government employees. But if, you know, let's say we raised all police officer salaries 10 percent and hired more police officers and eliminated overtime. Or most overtime, obviously, if there's a riot or something, you may need to call in uh, police officers. But it's just like regular use of overtime seems to be incredibly irresponsible. It's financially irresponsible. It's uh, irresponsible from a public safety perspective. And I imagine it causes burnout. Dustin, if you hadn't have worked all of those extra shifts uh, and hadn't have had all of that overtime stored up, uh, would you have quit? Right. And if you had been paid a little bit more instead and didn't have to work so much overtime and were able to spend more time with your family as a police officer, would you have stayed? Like, would that have affected that decision? I mean, I can't absolutely say yes or no. That's a very complicated, nuanced answer, Thomas, about why I left the police department. I would eventually left uh, probably before my 20 years is up just because I have a very, lot of very interest and um, I want to do some different things. And so my original plan was to stay for 10 years, you know, invest my pension and then and then take off after that. Um, ultimately, one of the reasons that process or what that timeline was expedited for me was my personal feelings about the treatment of the police department on behalf of the Austin City Council. Um, I felt they were very disingenuous, and uh, there is nothing, no evidence that I have seen thus far that makes me think that the politicians who uh, are, who decide the contract and the fate of the police department as a whole are going to change their tune, you know? Um, so that, that, that was one of the big factors in causing me to leave early. If that had never been a problem, if they had ratified the contract as it had been written and, uh, they various things like, uh, patrol stipends, which encouraged patrol officers to stay on patrol because I'm gonna tell you police officers, they, the incentive is to not stay on patrol. Cause that's where, you work in full 10 hour days, <clears throat> you work in uh, nights, you work in weekends, um, you work in holidays, and the incentive is very much, and that's also where most of the risk in this job is, because you are the one in the front line out there uh, interacting with people every single day, and when you interact with people, you're going to interact with the bad ones, and that's where the big risk as far as uh, getting into an, a conflict um, with with a member of the public comes in. So the incentive is very much to get off the street as fast as possible. 
So they were trying to ameliorate that by offering incentives to stay on patrol. So we were supposed to get a, a 5% raise, which over a five-year period, which um, I think it was a little bit more than 5%, but it was a very modest raise. Didn't even really keep up with the with the cost of inflation. And and they voted down that contract. Um, to say, had they not done that, would, they have st- would I have stayed longer? Probably. Um, and I, I think I'm getting a little off the rails here with, uh, with where you were originally going with this, but because uh, we were originally talking about sleep de- deprivation and being overworked. Right. So just back to that question real quick. If officers in general, if they weren't required to work as much overtime and were better compensated for the time they did work, do you think turnover would go down? Yeah. And, and here, here's the bottom line for everybody out there who's listening, who's ever been in a leadership position or you know ever been a business owner or manager where you have to hire people. Uh, if you treat your people like crap, you can pay them as much as you want, but eventually they're going to leave. But if you treat your people like crap and you don't pay well, well, they're going to leave faster. So, uh, you know, police officers in a lot of ways uh, are are accustomed to being treated like crap um, because, you know, when, when you deal with somebody out in the public and they're angry, you know, they're going to treat you like crap. But when you have to go through that every single day, oh, and you're not getting, you know, what you feel is, is, a, is a fair pay raise. Yeah, you're going to leave faster. So, um you, there's a big incentive problem right now with police departments across the United States. And it has to do with a lot of stuff. It has to do with the Ferguson effect. It has to do with, you know, the negative uh, way that police departments are being viewed uh, across um, the country right now. And it, it it's hurting police employment across nations for people who keep up with this stuff. And most people don't, they're pretty ignorant of it. There's there's a there's a lot of employment problems with uh, with police agencies across the nation. They're having recruiting problems, and they're having retention problems. And it's uh, it's it's a little known thing, but uh, it's happening and it's getting worse. And I think that the shooting in Dallas, you can make the case that it's a symptom of these problems because the harder you have time retaining, the harder time you have recruiting, the low, more short staffed you are, the more you have to. Uh, encourage slash pressure your officers to work overtime. Now, I want to be clear. Her being sleep deprived does not justify her shooting an unarmed black man in his own apartment. And I want to get back to the race side of this. Uh, When we talk about these officer involved issues, especially shootings like with Ferguson, uh, I, I always like to look at kind of how can this be prevented in the future and what are the root causes? And we talked about in Ferguson that part of the reason why people are so angry is that uh, officers are being used as tax collecting um, uh, or a tax collecting arm of the government where there's all these fees and people are being put in jail because they can't pay fees and just like making it a crime to be poor, which uh, disproportionately hurts African-Americans and unjustly so. Like that is a problem that needs to get fixed and officers using deadly force is a symptom of this deeper problem of kind of grinding down the poor and using the police to do that, which is also unfair to the police because that's not why the good ones sign up and the good ones will leave if that's their job and you get stuck with bad ones you know, who don't mind being you know, bullies on the poor. So let me offer you a perspective on that, Thomas, because you, you nailed it. Cops don't become cops to be bad guys. You know, the little kid who dreams of becoming a cop when they grow up they dream of becoming a cop because they want to be a good guy. And that's why most cops become cops because they want to be the good guy. Um, and you have, from my very, very microscopic perspective from you know my limited time as a police officer in one city, what I saw is that the city 
wants to use police officers as uh, fix-all, do-alls for all of society's ills. Um, so they task the police department with, you know, being the saviors of the homeless population. They task the police department with being the saviors of uh, the population that is mentally ill. And when uh, the perspective of a, of a street officer, it very much seemed like when society didn't have an answer to a problem, hey, we're going to call the cops to deal with this problem. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's not always a great solution because cops deal with criminal matters. We prosecute people who are violating the penal code. Um, and to expand from that, you know, you're asking quite a bit because what cops have been trained to do is deal with people who are violating uh, the penal code and take them to jail. And so whether it's uh, becoming mental health officers, becoming crisis counselors, becoming marriage counselors, this, that, and the other, one of the biggest toolbox that we have, or excuse me, one of the biggest tools that we have in our toolbox is to take people to jail. And so, for example, the city of Austin uh, uh, ages ago instituted a no lying or sleeping on a sidewalk policy to combat uh, some of the problems with the indigent population um, hovering around certain areas. So they enacted the city ordinance. And so when you know, we had homeless camps starting to sprout out and it was starting to get pretty nasty, we used the tool we had in our toolbox and we take people to jail. So all of a sudden, police officers are seen as bad guys because we're criminalizing homelessness. Never mind the fact that you know this is something that came from the city council. This is something they wanted to be enforced. We don't create the laws as police officers. We enforce them. We use the tools that are put in our toolbox and we don't make these tools. These tools are given to us by society. So I think you have a big problem with politicians who are representing, um, you know, who are representing society, representing the people of a municipality or a county or what have you, um, saying, we don't know what to do with this problem, but we have this big police force that we pay for, so let's use them. And I don't think that's the right answer for a lot of stuff. And going back to this, again, we don't know the details of this specific shooting. So while we're talking in kind of in general about how to make cops better cops by letting them enforce laws that make more sense, um, the shooting may be details we don't know yet. So, you know, there are differing accounts. Some people say that they exchanged words before the shooting, which... Um, I think really changes things. I absolutely think that this officer needs to be indicted and go to trial. Like, I feel like this needs to be hashed out in a trial. The, the family deserves that. And, um, there, the fact that she's a cop shouldn't get her off. I think that that is a very dangerous precedent to make. If an officer is able to walk into somebody's house and shoot them and kill them and not go to trial, Oh my goodness, <laughs> that that's taken us back a hundred years of progress, of racial progress. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen though. I think she's going to trial, go to trial, and in the trial, which will be well televised, I assure you, <laughs> uh, the whole country is going to get to see what happens. The poor jurors in that trial, in that juror box, who I feel bad for already, uh, are going to know that the whole country is watching their decision. And I feel like justice has a really good chance of being done. Injustice tends to thrive in darkness, and there's going to be a lot of light shed on this, right? There's not just the Texas Rangers investigating it. There's not just the Dallas Police Department investigating it. There's going to be a lot of reporters and social media people uh, going around investigating it. The family of the victim uh, has a lawyer 
and you know he's doing work to investigate it and i've been very impressed with him and um my heart really does go out to this family my my wife has a friend i think went with college to college with the victim and it's like this was the first time one of these shootings kind of hit home a little bit we weren't friends with him but he was within like you know one or two degrees of separation from us and uh you know that it's a scary thing i, I mean i'm not an african-american man but i can imagine it's very scary knowing that a police officer could just come into your house and shoot you like that whole community there's got to be a chilling effect here that that is unnerving but i I gotta stop you right there thomas i gotta stop you right there because here's the thing i think there is a lot being inserted into this narrative based on race and i think it's disingenuous and let me explain why a like we've already stated we don't know all of the particulars behind the story is is it a potential that, you know, uh, the officer is a racist cop and she went in there because she shot him because he was black and we just don't know that part of the story? Sure, it's potential. I haven't seen any indication of that in the news stories. From what I understand right now, it seems to me like, A, uh, she knew him personally and she shot him for a personal reason, or B, she honestly did make just a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. But nothing that I have seen in the story gives me any indication of warning that he was shot because he was a black man. Am I, am I missing something? Did I miss something there? I mean, if if her account of thinking she's in her room, uh, her own apartment, and it's being burgled by a man, and it's dark, I think, she, you know, and if she, because there's the gender issue here that I think is actually a stronger issue, right? You have a woman who has a man in her apartment, and I will say, um, you know, I have female family members uh, who live in apartments and who have guns. And if they found a man in their apartment in the dark, you know, broke breaking in, I could see them uh, being very tempted to use deadly force out of fear of being raped or worse. Right. Like that's that's a very scary position. There's, you know, like, oh, well, she's a cop. Surely she knows how to fight. And there's a saying that a um, if you have people of equal skill, the bigger person wins. So sure, a smaller person with karate skills or kung fu skills could potentially defeat a larger person without those skills. But if the all things being equal, the bigger, stronger person wins in a tussle. So you have a you know five foot you know nothing you know female who by nature that she's a female is going to be weaker, uh, right? Because women, you know, the Venn diagram of women's strength and the Venn diagram of men's strength, yes, some women are stronger than some men, but most men are stronger than most women. And uh, especially if there's a size differential that enhances it. Remember when I was in college, we studied, um, I took a weight training class and female muscles ounce for ounce actually aren't as efficient if I'm remembering correctly from 15 years ago in college. Uh, So it's not just that they have less muscle mass. They're not as strong. This is why men and women don't compete in the same sports. Don't send me stuff that I'm being chauvinistic here because I'm, I'm really just trying to like state science. <laughs> and and this is something that's in the mind of women of like, I am physically less able to defend myself against somebody who's bigger and stronger. And that may be, again, we're, we're speculating here and I, I don't like speculating on this show, but trying to kind of look at this from all angles, what may have been going on. She finds a big scary man in her room and that's something she's conscious of. And I will say as a big scary man, right? Somebody who doesn't know me, I'm very conscious of the fact that if I'm walking behind a woman down the sidewalk, I am making her uncomfortable. And it's not because of my race. It's just because of my size. I'm, I'm big and, you know, scary looking <laughs> to, to a stranger, uh, to, especially to a small, strange woman. And so I will often um, change the way that I walk 
cognizant of that, either going slower so they can go forward or, or getting around them quickly so that they don't have to be as afraid or, or smiling at them or doing something to kind of set them at ease because I realize that I have this effect. Um, and that is another aspect of this. So it, you may be right, Dustin, in that this is not um, race involved at all. But I will say, if I were a member of the African-American community, that's not how I would see it. Because <laughs> this doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not like there have been amazing relations between the police and the African-American community for you know a long time. And this was a statistical anomaly. This is happening in the context of lots of these kinds of shootings and lots of these kinds of shootings that felt unjust and yet nothing was done against the officer. Now, you know, the facts seem to line up very clearly that this was unjustified and she should at least be charged for manslaughter. You know, I, I, I don't know. If, if there were words, if they had a previous relationship, this might be murder or worse. But uh, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. What do you think? So this is a very, very touchy subject. And uh, the reason I challenged you, Thomas, is because I think it's very dangerous to impugn or, or excuse me, impute racism into a situation without any evidence of racism existing, because this is the whole problem of the uh, police world versus the black community world as it as it as it is in America right now. And I think the the, the national conversation and the the mood of of the nation and the mood of the media who are like, as we discussed in the last show, are certainly trying very hard to sensationalize things to sell stories. Um, they want to they want to insert this racism aspect in there. Um, and I think it's disingenuous without evidence of racism being a problem. And I think it's also dangerous. And I think you're doing a disservice not only to the black community, but also to police officers as a whole, because now you're only furthering a, a, a false conception. Um just because you're a police officer doesn't mean you're a racist. Just because you've been a police officer doesn't mean you're a racist. Um, but that's kind of that's kind of the, the the line that's being drawn right now. And so yeah, I think I think it's very dangerous. And I think it just goes back to public perception of police officers and going back to what we were talking about earlier about having trouble hiring police officers. Um, because now all of a sudden you have this problem of oh you put on a uniform you put on a badge you put on a gun now you're supposed to be racist. And uh, I think that's disingenuous. I think it's ultimately unfair to police officers. By the way. Um, as a member of the Austin Police Department, I can tell you that we had uh, human beings of all different shapes, colors, and sizes um, as members of the Austin Police Department, and we all worked great together. Uh, so, so how is it you're outwardly racist to other? Uh, this is from my perspective, outwardly racist to other races, but you know, within the quote-unquote thin blue line, you you don't see anything. So, I think, from my own perspective, I think, um taken as a whole, the racism aspect uh, is a little overplayed. And so, um, yeah, to, to impute racism here, I think is disingenuous. I'm going to comment on what you said about her being a female and, and shooting a male. One thing there that I think has, uh, that I've read, this police officer was in a shooting uh, about a year prior to this and talk about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, PTSD and shootings. When you get into a shooting as a police officer, you're 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 gonna have some linger effects in there, especially if you've never done it before. And uh, a part of that PTSD is you're gonna be apt to be a little bit more jumpy if you face a similar situation. And I think this is gonna have ultimately a large part to play with this case. 
Because, and this is, again, I'm reading a lot into this without knowing all the facts. And granted, as a police officer, I'm going to have a little bit more sympathy for the police officer. But if this officer, uh, and and you take her story at face value, uh, did go in there and got confused and and panged a little bit, you know, I think that's going to have something to do with it. So uh, I think that's important to know. And I think it's important to take into consideration. Um, and I think also think it's very important what you said about you know facing a, a larger subject, and if you think you're in your own home, how that's going to affect you. Um, I'm I'm I know I'm going to be perceived as the apologist for the police officer here, and just by the nature of my previous occupation, I I do have sympathy there. That said, I want to make it very clear to all listeners out there, um, I do agree with Thomas in this case that uh, there there has to be an investigation. Um, I believe based on what I write, know right now that the investigation is going to lead to an indictment and that this case is going to have to be uh, seen by a jury. And um, I don't know what's going to come from there just because I don't know enough about the case. But uh, yeah, just to just to assume it's racism, I think is wrong. And we really need to know more about the case before we can make an honest to goodness decision about what happened. All right. Well said. We want to know uh, what you think. Uh, Dear listener, feel free to leave us a comment. You can comment on Facebook, you can comment on YouTube, and you can comment at libertybuzzard.com. Are we on base? Are we off base? Let us know. Uh, We take all comments right now, friendly and unfriendly. So do leave us a comment. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. I'm Dustin Hammett. And you've been listening to Liberty Buzzard. This episode of Liberty Buzzard is brought to you by Tom Umstadt CPA. Tom has over 35 years of experience helping people like you pay only their fair share in taxes. Don't let the IRS stress you out. Get Tom and his team on your team at TaxmanTom.com.